what to do about Odubel. The Phillies' streaky outfielder is stone cold as the Phillies try to make a stretch pennant run. Reese Hoskins has 162 games in the books. We'll take a look at his first year in the major leagues. And Carlos Santana, third baseman? This and more on Phillies Nation Podcast 51. Welcome to this Phillies Nation Podcast 51. I'm your host. My name is Frank Close, and I am from sportstalkphilly.com and 973espn.com. Very pleased to host this Phillies Nation Podcast. And let's first open by talking about Sunday night's national embarrassment. No, not the Washington Nationals, but an ESPN Sunday night game. The Little League Classic, as it's now called, the second year of its existence, played on the Phillies, minor league, short season, low class A, Williamsport, Crosscutters, historic Bowman Field, also known as BB&T Park. And the Phillies did not seem to show up. The Phillies offense quiet down. I saw lots of Twitter comments about the Phillies playing this game like a Little League team. Convenient joke to make. But wearing those... I don't even know what to call these these uniforms. They're players' weekend uniforms, but the Phillies wearing some weird kind of turquoise, teal... It's not blue. I don't even know what to call it. It seems like a color fitting for the Miami Marlins or something, but the Phillies are wearing them. They have their nicknames on the back, and on the mound was... Somebody with the very creative nickname, Pavetta. As of course, the one starting pitcher that doesn't come up with an actual nickname for himself is the one that actually pitches the game. But gives up six earned runs in three and two-thirds innings. His ERA on the season is now 466. Very, very disappointing for the Phillies starting pitcher. Let's face it, Nick Pavetta can give the team a very brilliant performance at times. But when Nick Pavetta is down, he's down. And unfortunately, it happened tonight on a national stage with everybody watching. And it's kind of hard because the Phillies basically could have had Cole Hamels for nothing. In fact, the, the Chicago Cubs, in a way, got paid to take them take Cole Hamels off the Rangers' hands. The Phillies could have had him. And Cole Hamels has been money with the Chicago Cubs instead so just something to think about I'm, I'm not overly worried about it but it is something to consider because Nick Pavetta obviously would have been the one to be replaced if the Phillies got out a lefty and let's face it there's there's something that this Phillies team is really missing by not having a left-handed pitcher in the rotation you know we saw against the Boston Red Sox this week you know the Phillies put all three of their lefties in Aaron Loop got an inning Adam Morgan he gave them one and two-thirds. And Austin Davis also gave them an inning. Now, of course, after the game, it broke two of the three lefties because Loop and Davis ended up on the disabled list. But you really saw just what having that left-handed pitching could do for a team. And the Phillies 
don't have much of it. So now Loop and Davis on the disabled list. They have one bullpen lefty, the only left-handed pitcher on the entire diamond. Unless you say that, I don't know, Nick Pavetta, remember he threw that <laughs> he threw that batter out. I forget who it was now, but he, that with that left-handed throw to first base. Maybe maybe Velasquez needs to start switch pitching because they, they have nothing from the left side, which is, of course, a real concern. Because you see how other teams do it to the Phillies, right? They bring their lefty in. They mix things up. They, they're able to go after some of their, their tough players in the lineup. You know, the Mets bring in Zamora to face Justin Bohr tonight. And the Phillies can't do the same for other teams because they just don't have it. So so that that is one area of weakness. It's a shame Nick Pavetta hasn't really been able to, to give anything to the Phillies really since, uh, I don't say anything, but he hasn't been consistent. All right. So and again, a lot of the issues with the Phillies players aren't their talent, but it's just a lack of consistency. Go up and down the team, you can see plenty of players that have not been consistent. Certainly, Oduba Herrera for one. All right. Now Tim Kelly's going to join me, and we're we're going to talk about Oduba Herrera at length today because of all the players that are inconsistent, Oduba Herrera might have the the lowest low of anybody on this Phillies team right now. And we'll break down the numbers, but Odubel Herrera is just having a pitiful August. He batted eighth tonight as the Phillies took on the Mets. Now that that you know, who would have thought that somebody that was hitting three sixty seven when the month of May was was active would be your eight hole hitter ahead of only the pitcher. When you're down the stretch in a pennant run, and the Phillies losing to the Mets 8-2, it really hurt them tonight because the Atlanta Braves lost again to the Colorado Rockies. If the Phillies won, they would have had sole possession of first place. But they don't. Instead, the Phillies go out with a tremendous thud. Uh, you know, looking at some of the comments on Twitter, people found this loss to be absolutely embarrassing. And the Phillies had a five-game series against the New York Mets. Can only win two of the games. Now, when the season, the series began, you thought, okay, the Phillies had the rough West Coast stretch. So we were talking about this time last week. They lost four of six to the San Diego Padres and the Arizona Diamondbacks. But then they come home, they split with the Boston Red Sox, and really, what what more could you want than that? Okay? Really, that's, that's, that's what you really hoped for when you're facing the Boston Red Sox in a two-game series, and they did it twice, once on their home, home turf and once in Boston, and they split both series. So that's, that's actually what you would want from the Phillies if they're facing the Boston Red Sox with the best record in baseball and potentially setting the record for the most wins in a season. And then they face New York. They're embarrassed with that 24 to 4 loss, okay? But you know what, and the position players, you know, they had <laughs> three innings pitched by position players in that game. You know, the Phillies basically just conceded and said, "All right, let's get on to game 2." And you know what, they responded in game 2 and won 9 to 6. But then the next night they faced Jacob DeGrom. And as you might expect, the Phillies 
really, really struggled against Jacob deGrom. Okay, but everybody does. Jacob deGrom is probably going to win the Cy Young, despite being just a game over 500 right now and for being with a putrid New York Mets team. So you kind of expect that to be bad. Tonight, the Phillies face a pitcher who had an ERA, not in the fours, not in the fives, not in the six, or seven even. All right, this pitching matchup coming into tonight's game against the Phillies and the Mets. Yeah. This is this is embarrassing. Jason Vargas, okay, two and eight, eight one zero ERA. All right, not many pitchers have an eight ten ERA and get to keep pitching in Major League Baseball. Doesn't happen. But yet, Jason Vargas made another start tonight against the Phillies, and what's he do? Five and one third innings, six hits. Two earned runs, and his ERA drops to six seven. Excuse me, six. Excuse me, sixty seven. Not what you wanted to see against Jason Vargas. Even the Mets fans last night were thinking that they were going to get embarrassed on national television, but instead, it was the Phillies who were embarrassed. So they lose three of three of five to New York, which, thanks to the Colorado Rockies taking care of the Atlanta Braves, you know the the Atlanta Braves lost to the Rockies today, four to two. Uh, you know what? And I will say this: if you think the Phillies are, I'm just trying to think of the different things people are saying. Some people will say that the Philadelphia Phillies aren't ready. That they have holes. But the Atlanta Braves are kind of going through a lot of the same stuff. All right, I just want to point that out. The Washington Nationals remain a mess. The team who was supposed to win the National League, they fired their manager. It's the last season of Bryce Harper's uh, contract. And yet, they can't do anything. So, you know... Nationals general manager Mike Rizzo better watch it because, you know, you fire your manager like especially a respected veteran manager like Dusty Baker and give it to a rookie manager. You're saying that not only is it the manager's fault, but you're also saying that this rookie manager can handle it. All right? So, so think about that for a second. It's Dusty's fault, not mine, because I'm the general manager and I put the team together. And even a rookie manager could win with my team. Well, guess what? It's a mess in Washington. They're out, okay? I don't think the Nationals are even going to sniff anywhere near winning the National League East. But the Phillies and Braves, it's going to come down to one of two teams who are ahead of schedule and perhaps don't have all their bullets. All right? And one reason to, to, to to point out that they don't have other bullets. Anibal Sanchez, right? He used to beat up on the Phillies back in the day with, with the Miami Marlins when they were the Florida Marlins, right? So they're still short some bullets, all right? And the Braves are going to have series like the Phillies just had with the Mets. There's, there's, just, there's just no 
no way around it. The Braves are going to do the same thing. Now, the Braves, they end up losing a four-game series, not just losing the series, but got swept by the Rockies in a four-game series. They lose 5-3, to 11-5, to 5-3 to three again, and 4-2. to two. Braves are heading out to Pittsburgh. They're going to be there for three games. Uh, I hope to go to one of those games on Wednesday. I'm going to see how the, the Braves look against the, the Pittsburgh Pirates on Wednesday in Pittsburgh. And then they go to back to the Marlins for four more. The, the, playing the Marlins always seems to be a, you know, a way to get back on track for the Phillies and the Atlanta Braves. But the, the, the Braves are going to have four games against the Marlins starting on Thursday. So three against a tough Pirates team. Now, that team kind of surged for a while. They've kind of leveled out. Uh, but the Marlins are the Marlins. And then after the Marlins, the Braves get to face the Rays for two. The Phillies, and meanwhile, they're going to go, now that they're, they're, they're done this series with New York, they have off on Monday. They're going to play three in Washington and then head to Toronto for three where they'll have a designated hitter, Justin Bohr, will get a chance to play some first base. And by the way, Speaking of Justin Bohr, very interesting thing happened in tonight's game. Scott Kingery started the game in shortstop as Drupal Cabrera started the game at third base. Michael Franco pinch hit, then he was done in the game. Later on, when Justin Bohr pinch hit, he pinch hit for the righty Scott Kingery. And here's what happens. As Drupal Cabrera moved from third base to shortstop, Justin Bohr remained in the game to play first base, and Carlos Santana takes over third base. Very, very interesting because, you know, Carlos Santana, he is no stranger to third base. Carlos Santana does indeed have some experience in the major leagues at third base. The Phillies didn't go there with him at any point yet. But this was a night where the Phillies really seemed like they were desperate for some offense and they were willing to keep Carlos Santana in the game at third base. After, you know, Santana had a nice big two home run, two run home run, uh big bomb. They wanted to keep that and they wanted Justin Bohr there too. Will they ever do that? In the lineup, I think that's something worth considering. You know, we look at at the defensive statistics in the career of Carlos Santana. Today was his 27th game where he's appeared at third base. All right, so he's he's not a stranger. He hasn't done it in a couple of years. Last time he played third base was actually all the way back in 2014. You know, when he was kind of converting from a catcher for the first time. He did catch a little bit in 2014, 11 games. He served as a DH for 22. He played first base for 94 games and third base for 26 games. And let's not forget, too, that Santana's even played some outfield. He's played uh, seven games in the outfield last year, but in his career in total, he played uh, eight. So one extra game beyond what what he did last year. Um, and, and don't forget, too, that even in the World Series in 2016, Terry Francona, the Indians manager, was willing to put Santana in the outfield. Now, I don't know that the Phillies are going to man it, and, and we'll talk about this with Tim Kelly. I don't think the Phillies are ready to man an outfield of Reese Hoskins, Carlos Santana, and Nick Williams. 
you can throw Nick Williams in center if you have to. He's not really he's not really the guy you want in center field. But that would be a pretty bad outfield. But but, but might the Phillies give Carlos Santana a start here or there at third base? If they're desperate for offense, be very, very interesting to have a lineup with Justin Bohr, Reese Hoskins, and Carlos Santana all in it. Maybe they'll give it a shot. But I think it's fair to say that in Toronto, next weekend, that might all happen because they have a designated hitter. So in that instance, you, you probably will see. And yeah, yeah, You'd like to let Reese Hoskins DH some, but uh, you're probably going to see Justin Bohr do it so that Santana can remain at first base and Hoskins in left field. But one of the reasons the Phillies are struggling so bad is the play of Odubel Herrera, and he's going to be a good amount of our discussion tonight. Odubel Herrera, okay, outstanding is kind of an understatement for for how his time went when he was in the month of April. About a 367 in the month of April. Now, we know that for anybody, or, or I would say almost anybody, because Ted Williams is dead, but nobody hits 367 anymore in his season. And this is this that, that month made you really think, you know what? We realize that Ojibwe Herrera has some weaknesses. Maybe he's figured them out. But instead... It seems like the opposition had figured out Odubel Herrera. We welcome Tim Kelly in now. And Tim, I'm I'm looking at Odubel Herrera's stats this August. This is coming in tonight. I didn't get a chance to, to update the individual stats since we got to chat. But uh, in August, in 45 at-bats, he has eight hits. He's got one walk. And his batting average is 178, on-base percentage 196, and OPS of, get this, 418. Tim Kelly, what's up with Odubel Herrera? I think he's always been very streaky, but you thought at some point the lows wouldn't be as low, and that just hasn't happened. He's hit below 225 in his last 75 games. It's almost half the season. Granted, the other half, of not, not quite half, but the other part of the season, he was otherworldly. He had a great start. And I don't doubt that another hot streak's around the corner because this isn't someone that needs to gradually progress. We saw earlier in the season he had gone cold for a little while after the on-base streak broke. He had a streak of five home runs within a week and then went cold. And so he could flip and get hot again tomorrow. You mentioned the walks, and I think that part's interesting because the best month of his career, I think, was April of 2016. He walked 23 times. That month propelled him to the All-Star Game. So he walked 23 times in April of 2016. He walked 31 times the entire 2017 season. He's walked 31 times in 2018, so he's going to finish slightly higher. People may think that walks are being overvalued in today's game, but when he goes into these cold streaks, walks could be his saving grace. And I thought that under a new coaching staff, they may make an effort to have him walk more, and that just hasn't happened. So when he's in these cold streaks, he's really, it's beyond, he's a lot, he becomes a liability in the lineup, really. And I understand the rest of the time he is 
someone that's capable of carrying a lineup, but this is the first year where we've gotten to test this out in a season where the Phillies are contending, and it's not going particularly well, at least not in these months where he's really struggling like this. So where would you bat him in this lineup right now? Because, you know, he was for a long time batting third, and that's been replaced by a number of people. The Phillies have used Nick Williams. They've used uh, Asdrubal Cabrera in recent days. It, it seems like it's kind of a revolving door batting third, but but where do you put Herrera now? It looks like he's kind of relegated to hitting seventh, and, and I kind of wonder if he should be hitting eighth in this lineup right now. Yeah, seven or eighth. I mean, a lot of it depends on whether Wilson Ramos or Jorge Alfaro's catching. It depends whether Scott Kingery's playing at shortstop or as Drupal Carrera's playing at shortstop. So, like you said, it's a revolving door. I think at this juncture, you have to have him hitting significantly lower than three. That doesn't mean in two weeks he won't be back towards that part of the lineup. But right now, he hasn't been that. And Beyond lowering him in the lineup right now, Roman Quinn, I think, is as good or a better option. So you need to weigh your options and try to win games right now because you're in a, you're in a playoff race. Yeah, now certainly Roman Quinn's something to discuss, and I'll get to that in one second. But just to kind of run down how he's hitting by his spot in the batting order. Now, Herrera's batted the most number three. He's got 275 when he's batting third, okay? And that really, that's the bulk of his bats, and his, his average on the season is 269. So it kind of shows you that that's kind of mostly where he's got the bats. 27 at bats, batting second, he's hitting 185. Batting sixth, he has 23 at bats, batting 174. Batting seventh, he's hitting 214. Uh, and, you know, they, he's got a few at bats, batting fifth. He has 12 at bats, and he has six hits, batting fifth. So, so do you think it's a matter of where he's hitting in the order, or is it just a matter of where they've put him when he's been streaky? I think it's the latter. I mean, when he's going well, he's batting third for this team because he's someone that even though, I mean, he has hit a lot more home runs this season than he had in the past, but he's someone always that has driven the ball when he's going well. So when he's going well, having him hit third on a team that doesn't have a ton of pop makes sense. The rest of the time, you're kind of seeing him moved around you mentioned second, sixth, wherever else in the lineup, and I think those are small sample sizes indicative of the Phillies trying to move him to another spot in the lineup to get him going. And the reality is with his swing and with all the timing that needs to go into it, when it's going really well, he's hitting third. When it's not going really well, he maybe shouldn't even be in the lineup. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the swing because that was on my list of things to talk to you about. Now, it seems to me, watching these games, that... Herrera almost decides he's going to swing before the pitch comes, and wherever the pitch is, he swings. Now, when he's going well, he seems to find it and hit it. Uh, but when he's not going well, he just seems to miss badly. So uh, do you, what do you think about my read on that situation? Because I, I really can't figure out if he really has a, a real approach other than I'm going to decide ahead of time if I'm swinging. I think he's locked in, he's locked in, and when he's not locked in, he looks lost at the plate. And another thing I would add on to that is when he decides to take a pitch, he doesn't even look like he's interested in watching the pitch. He's mentally checked out of that. And I'm, I know there's pro duel and those who aren't. I, I've been throughout the course of my time covering the Phillies the last few years much closer to the section of people that is high on what Odubel Herrera does. So I don't want this to be taken out of context or misunderstood. 
I, I value him as a player. I think he's a very good player when things are going right. But I also think it's fair to criticize a lot of these things. And when he isn't going right, I think he's mentally checked out. When he's going, when things are going really well, he's checked in. He's a spark plug to this team, and he's really a catalyst for what's going on. So it's why in these months where he's not going well, you want to see him walk more. You want to see him do other little things so you can keep him in the lineup, allow him to ride those times out so you can get to the other times where he's going really well. Now, you mentioned the word or the phrase mentally checked out, and I, I think some people have made a reference to that in two other situations, and I'd like you to comment on those. Uh, first is his outfield defense, because we've seen some plays where he seemed to be clueless as to where, where, what the situation was and where he should be throwing the ball or where he should be playing. And then also, uh, if you remember the other night, he, he had that play at first where he, he kind of hits into a double play, beats out the double play, but then unwisely takes a step towards first base, and he was a dead duck at first base. So I know mentally checked out might be a phrase some people might use him to describe his awareness on the base paths and and his outfield defense. So what what, would, what are your perspectives on his his outfield defense and even his base running in terms of that phrase you use, mentally checked out? A lot of the outfield miscues, which really only happen once in a while in the grand scheme of things, they were easy to excuse the last few years because Odubo Herrera, at least based off of defensive metrics, was one of the better fielding center fielders in the entire sport. That's taken a drastic step back this year, and a lot of that, in my mind, has to do with where they're positioning him in the, in the outfield. And I, I examined this over on Sports Talk Philly earlier this summer, Frank, it's not a situation to me where he's a bad fielder. I think a lot of this has to do with their positioning him elsewhere, and it's a lot more than you can get into on a podcast. As far as the mentally checked out, I don't even know if it's, if that's the right way to phrase it, but there are individual plays where that's what it looks like. There's individual plays where there's lessons of concentration on the base paths, and it, you can point that out and then also point out that when he's on, he's very good, and he's probably on three and a half out of six months. So he's a tough player because you see the flashes of when he's really good, and those flashes aren't something you necessarily want to give up on. Now let's compare his outfield defense for a second. You did mention Roman Quinn once, and obviously he's a big part of the discussion here because, one, Roman Quinn hasn't really had an opportunity to, to really show he could play in the major leagues, having a lot to do with his health. And, and, you know, he's got a million different various all not connected injuries that have happened over the last few years. Uh, but he's here. He shows he has some tools. And at the plate, too, one thing that we see from Roman Quinn is, you know, he hasn't hit much yet. I mean, he hasn't had regular at-bats. But it seems like there's been certain instances where he's had the opportunity to hit He'll draw a walk, and then he'll steal bases. So uh, does Roman Quinn really kind of help you determine what the Phillies do with Odubel Herrera? And right now, in this situation, how much would you be playing Roman Quinn? I think he helps you determine what you do with Odubel Herrera right now because he's here right now, he's healthy right now, and he gives you another option. I think that goes for Nick Williams in right field as well. So... I don't know what you do in the future, though, and that's kind of the problem with moving on from Odubel Herrera, or even the concept of looking elsewhere. He has an extremely team-friendly contract. 
Uh, he's only going to be making $5 million in 2018. You can control him through 2022, which is his age 31 season. So right now I'd be playing Roman Quinn three or four times a week in center field. But you can't bank on him long term, just like you can't bank on Aaron Altair. This is the first year Aaron Altair stayed healthy, and it's been a disastrous season for him. He's never graded out particularly well in the field. He's a very good athlete, but with the injury problems, I wouldn't feel comfortable asking him to play center field. And a lot of people bring up signing Bryce Harper. I don't think that's a bad idea whatsoever. I do think it's a bad idea to play him in center field because he's not a center fielder. So you're in a very weird situation, and obviously the best-case scenario is Odubo Herrera gets it together, and you find a way where these lows aren't quite as low. It's just I think they're, you're getting to the point where it's a where you kind of realize Odubo Herrera is what he is what he is, and that's fine. I mean, there's value in what he is. It's just very hard to plan for these type of months when you're in contention. Now you make a great point. So you say he is what he is. Now, one thing I said when he signed that extension, which, as you said, it's very club friendly. Uh, but my reaction, and I'm on the record, I said this on the air on 97.3 ESPN, was that they made him very tradable because. No matter how he does, he, he's got enough talent that that contract can be moved kind of with ease. So I, if you're the Phillies, is is the lack of consistency the reason that you, you try to see if you can find a suitor for him? Because I'll bet there's a lot of teams out there, they, and they look at what you just said, you know, making $5 million. Why not, why not add him to your team? I, and I guess the question that kind of comes with that is the contract isn't going to be a barrier to a trade. What kind of value would he have in trade because because of this un- inconsistency? And I think if you're the Phillies, the only reason you move on from somebody like him is the inconsistency. Yeah, th- there's a lot of moving parts to a trade. And in theory, someone that's 26 years old, has this type of talent, and has a team-friendly contract, there shouldn't be this, this these many moving parts. But there are, and I think in many senses that's why it's going to be hard to get a serious market for him or one where you get enough of a return to move him. And I remember at the time of that extension writing an article saying Adam Eaton just got moved, and Adam Eaton probably isn't as good as Odubo Herrera. When Odubo Herrera is going well, Odubo Herrera is very good. Of course, he was fielding much better at that time, but that's neither here nor there. The problem is the Nationals got panned for giving up major prospects for Adam Eaton, and I think even though that trade hasn't worked out well for the White Sox, he hadn't hasn't particularly worked out that well for the Nationals either. Teams were watching that, and that's just one angle of this. Herrera is also a streaky player. He rubs some people the wrong way. He rubs some people the right way. And I don't doubt that there's teams that think if we got him in our environment with our coaching staff, things would click even more than they already have. So, you know, who knows? I think they'd always be willing to listen to him. Matt Gelb reported prior to the extension they listened to him. They had listened to him that summer before. So I think they're always willing to listen to him, and part of that extension was that, yeah, they have the option to have a very talented player through 2022. They also have the option to trade him, and it's much more likely to, to be able to trade him with that type of contract. It's not that different than Christian Yelich's contract. I think he's a better fielder than Christian Yelich when things are going right, and center fielders are more valuable than corner outfielders. The problem is Christian Yelich is a much more consistent offensive force than Odubel Herrera is, 
And it's just going to be very difficult. A lot of it depends on what happens in the last month or two of the season. If he goes on another hot streak, maybe teams look at that and are interested. But then maybe also the Phillies think, we can't give up on this guy, even with some of the headaches he's caused. So there's going to be a lot of moving parts. It's certainly worth the debate, and it's certainly worth picking up the phone. I'm just not sure exactly how a trade would work for him, and I'm not sure what the Phillies' plan is if they do trade him. Even if you get a great package for Odubo Herrera, who plays center field next year when you're hoping to contend? Well, they certainly have time to figure that out. Now, it's funny you mentioned Christian Yelich. The Phillies actually had a lot of rumors last offseason. They were trying to be the ones who got Christian Yelich, who was indeed moved from the Miami Marlins and ended up with the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, who who have had a pretty similar season to the Phillies in a lot of ways. Uh, they've been struggling a little bit as of late, but Christian Yelich, one of those really consistent, as you said, forces in the outfield, and maybe that was why the Phillies were, were looking to uh, to move move uh, perhaps move a Herrera towards him or perhaps uh, supplement him with Yelich. But, of course, the Phillies ended up going the Carlos Santana route to find a uh, left-handed bat. All right, and so- honestly, the, the, the one name that they probably should have been looking at in that Brewers outfield is probably Lorenzo Cain more than anything. Yeah, actually, he, he was a bargain for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers in a lot of ways, and he's probably a, a lot of the reason why the Brewers kind of had this resurgence kind of early and unexpectedly, and he probably would profile well on this this Phillies team. And uh, so, so let me ask you this, so to kind of close out our discussion about Adubel Herrera, what do you do, or what is your overall goal? Now, I think, I think the thing that we hear a lot from from people that follow us on Twitter and and listen to this show, and uh, they often talk about trading somebody in terms of getting rid of. Now, uh, so it's kind of hard to to kind of put together a whole picture when you don't know what what else is going to happen. But what would your objective be with somebody like Odubel Herrera going into this off season? My objective, my objective, excuse me, would be two things. One, you try to work with him and do everything you can to get into his head that you need to walk more. You try to figure things out again in the field. They've drastically changed uh, the position he starts at in center field in terms of the distance from uh, 2017 to 2018. I'd be interested to know why they'd want to do that, but it's coincided with a drastic drop in his defensive metrics. So I would do two things. I would try to figure things like that out. I'd try to put in his head to walk more. So you try to make him a better player for you with the intention that he's probably going to be on your team in 2019. But at the same time, you're willing to pick up the phone if teams are interested in him. Again, though, I do wonder who plays center field if you trade Odubel Herrera, you can't think on Roman Quinn staying healthy coming into a season. That's not a real solution. As much as I think Roman Quinn is capable, if healthy, of being a starting center fielder, you just can't bank on that type of health. So you have to not only have a plan for what you do in a trade for Herrera, but you have to have another plan of who then slides into center field because you're hoping to be a team that's maybe a division favorite, certainly a team in the playoffs in 2019, and if you trade Odubel Herrera, you're taking somebody out that's been your starting center fielder for a bulk of the last five years. You have to have an option of who else goes in there. So it's easy to say they should listen for Herrera. If he gets hot at the end of the season, it might make sense to move him. But it's not 
that simple. And that doesn't mean you don't move him, but it means a lot of things are going to have to take place. Before you leave, let's talk about one more player that's also been kind of inconsistent over the times. Uh, Michael Franco, uh, what are your thoughts on him? Now, he's really seemed to convince the Phillies this season that they didn't need to get anybody to play third base at the trade deadline, although we see as Dribble Cabrera uh, started for the Sunday evening game at third base. But for the most part, the Phillies seem to be very happy with third base and were willing to let that go. What do you think about Franco in terms of inconsistency and about having a long-term future with this Phillies team? A few months ago, it seemed set in stone that he wasn't going to be here. He went on that tear, and it's very difficult because he's always someone that I think everyone's looked at and said, if this guy puts it together, he is someone that is probably a star. Not a superstar, but a star. I think he has improved his fielding at third base. He's a world-class army, makes some great plays. I wouldn't call him a great fielder, but I think he's certainly improved at that spot. And offensively, you see these strides, and he's only going to be 26 entering next season. So it would be very difficult for me not to bring him back next year. That doesn't mean, again, like Herrera, you don't listen. A lot of it then also depends whether you're able to land Manny Machado this offseason. Presumably, Manny Machado plays shortstop, but then you're left with where do you put Scott Kingery, maybe second base, but maybe you don't trade Cesar Hernandez because Hernandez's value might not be as high as it was an offseason ago. And then you also have J.P. Crawford, who's graded out better defensively as a third baseman, but you haven't gotten enough sample of him yet, but in the sample you've gotten, he hasn't hit enough really to play any position, but certainly not to play third base. So you want to give him at bats. You don't want to give up on him. You need to find that bats for Scott Kingery, and Michael Franco appears on the cusp at times of being this star player. So it's going to be a lot to balance for Matt Klontak, and I don't think it's any stretch to say that this may be the offseason that makes or breaks his and Gabe Kapler's tenure in Philadelphia. Yeah, and somebody asked me for my upcoming Phillies mailbag for 97.3 ESPN, what do I do uh, if with uh, the Phillies if they sign Harper? What, you know, who gets displaced? And my, my reaction is you just go try to get Harper, you try to get Machado, and figure out the rest later. So Agreed. That, Agreed. That, that may be what ends up happening, and, and it's kind of hard to talk about these contingencies until we know just what the Phillies can absolutely get, and, and I really do think you're on to something there about Matt Klintek kind of defining his future with this offseason because it, you know this is the big offseason right that everybody was looking forward to so if they don't make it happen this offseason fans might not want to wait for another situation now, one more quick question because i know we have to go because we're a little bit longer than usual but i was just looking now if the phillies if you, if you go back to this offseason there were two players that the phillies were looking at that were trying to satisfy their uh and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna ask the others on the show today too but the people that the Phillies were trying to satisfy their left-handed bat in the lineup slash veteran bat kind of role were Carlos Santana and Carlos Gonzalez. And Carlos Gonzalez ends up signing a one-year $8 million deal with the Colorado Rockies to return. Now, look, I'm not a Carlos Santana hater, uh, but how different would this be if they had Carlos... Uh, you could tell it's a late night, right, because of this late yeah, game. yeah. <laughs> Carlos Gonzalez on their roster instead of Carlos Santana. I, I did a deep dive on Carlos Santana last week. Car Carlos Gonzalez, to me, I, I never was that high on that idea. 
I got the logic in the Carlos Santana part, I, but I, I think it's a legitimate argument to say you've devalued Reese Hoskins by putting him in left field. Uh, I mean, he has been as bad as Pat Burrell in his worst years in left field, and Pat Burrell at least had a good arm. He had some redeeming parts in left field. We weren't as smart, I think, in looking at baseball at that time because in reality, Pat Burrell probably should have been playing first base or DHing. So... I think Reese Hoskins long-term would be better at first, but then you've got a player in Reese Hoskins who is a clear defensive upgrade at first base over Reese Hoskins, despite a few weird uh, stretches of season. He's obviously a better defender at first base. He does get on a ton, and he, he hits for power. We saw it on the Sunday night game. He destroyed a ball off the scoreboard, and this is someone that's viewed as one of the best clubhouse presences in the league. That's not something you get to see on a day-to-day basis, but I think you've seen his effects rub off on guys like Michael Franco. So it's tough to tell how it would have been in a different situation with someone like Carlos Gonzalez. I would have preferred an outfielder like John Jay if you were going to go that route, another left-handed bat that seems to find his way onto a contending team every year, and he's done it again this year with the Diamondbacks. So I'm not sure. I get the dissatisfaction with what Carl Santana's done this season, but I also think he's been very unlucky and he's probably going to have a much better season in 2019. At the same time, that also means Reese Hoskins is still in left field where he clearly isn't a fit. So there's arguments on both sides. I still think having Carlos Santana in your lineup, you're a better lineup, but I I thought the Phillies under Clintac were going to be a team that really valued defense in the outfield and that just simply hasn't been the case in 2018. So it's something you need to look at again this offseason for sure. Many storylines that will play themselves out the rest of the season. Tim Kelly, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Frank. Hoskins at 162. After this. What do we do when the power's out with the Philadelphia Phillies? Well, one bright spot for the Phillies' power over the last year has been one Reese Hoskins. Now, he just celebrated not that long ago his one-year anniversary of entering the major leagues. He made his major league debut on August 10th, 2017. Now, look, it, it doesn't really feel like he's been around for just a year, right? It feels like it's been a lot longer than that because, let's face it, he's, he was the one bright spot down the stretch last year and really started to get people excited about the Phillies again. But Reese Hoskins, after he celebrated his one-year anniversary, also celebrated his Game 162 anniversary, if you want to call it that, because a year's worth of seasons is 162. So let's take a look through some of these numbers. So in his first 162 games, okay, he batted actually kind of right where he did this year at the at the 257 258 mark, all right, cuz we're you know, we we want to appropriately round that up. 43 home runs, 125 runs batted in OPS 918. That's pretty impressive for a full season of work. Now, let's face it. Everybody in Major League Baseball, or next to everybody, now, Freddie Galvis did last year. 
But nobody plays 162 anymore. In fact, Reese Hoskins probably is overdue for a day off. Now, he had his little um, jaw injury, which, of course, kind of delayed him getting to 162. But he hasn't had many days off since he came to the major leagues because the Phillies have needed his offense. We, we're bringing this up just because this is something worth noting, all right? Because it's been a full season's worth of games. And when you're Reese Hoskins, you don't get many days off. And in fact, if the Phillies gave him a day off one of these days, generally it's probably because, actually it's probably because now they have Justin Bohr and they have other additions and they could probably try to get by in the lineup without him. Reese Hoskins doesn't get many days off, and if he did, he would probably be used as a pinch hitter because the Phillies don't have that big a bench because in 2018, you carry 8,000 pitchers. Or at least having an eight-man bullpen. Reminds me of, I remember when Terry Francona became manager, the Phillies made the bold move of having seven in the bullpen. But no, that number now is generally eight across the league. But looking at Reese's stats, I think it's very important to remember that. Now, we talked about the ups and downs. Now, before Reese Hoskins went on the disabled list, he was scuffling a little bit. And that injury to the jaw kind of perhaps helped him recalibrate. Now, he did not play from May 29th when he had the injury. Actually, I take that back. May 28th, he had the injury. He played on May 29th and had one at bat as a sub and hit a double. A very clutch double for the Phillies. But he doesn't play from May 29th through June 8th. So he basically had the minimal 10-day disabled day, and he came back with the new helmet. But when he went on the disabled list, okay, you know, he had batted 161 in the month of May. Definitely somebody who was really kind of showed that he was kind of wearing down a little bit or getting a little bit fatigued, okay? So that was not a good month of May for Hoskins. He had two home runs and nine RBI. And in April, he only had three home runs to go with one in March, okay? So so when he went on the disabled list after two, essentially two full months of play because, you know, he had those few March games. So we'll just round it up and say he had six home runs in his first two months, but when he came back in June, he came back with the vengeance. Eight home runs, 22 RBI, on-base percentage of 400, OPS 1.088, while batting 312. All right? So that's Hoskins, June. July. Not as strong, but still very, very good. Eight home runs, 20 RBI. Batting 276, on base percentage of 369, OPS 921. Excellent numbers for the month of July. And so far in August, he's dipping a little bit, but he's got four home runs, seven RBI, batting 222. Okay, not his best month. 344 on base, OPS 825. They can they can deal with an 825 OPS. Phillies can use that. And in fact, I would venture to say that Reese could really use tomorrow's day off. 
And who knows? You, you never know. The problem with somebody like Reese Hoskins right now is you never know when you can rest him. You need the offense so badly that you'll never let him leave the lineup. And when Hoskins is there, he's always going to make the other team think he's a threat. Now, now actually, I will say, looking at his average to 222, he had a little bit of a dip for a few days from August 5th through August 10th, okay? He didn't have that hit, right? But since then, since August 14th when they faced Boston, 1 for 3, 1 for 4, 1 for 4, 2 for 3, 0 for 2, but a couple of walks, 2 for 4, and then 1 for one, 1 for 4 against the Mets on Sunday night. So he's kind of got it. Just that one little short little dip is really the only down part of him for the season, uh, you know, uh, since he's come back from that injury. But Hoskins, again, at 162 games, 43 home runs, 125 RBI. That's Jarese Hoskins. Looking ahead, we have, again, an off day Monday. And just to recap, Phillies will face the Washington Nationals for three in Washington before they face the Toronto Blue Jays in Toronto for three more. So next week when you're back with us, hopefully we'll talk about some Phillies wins. Uh, but it's there for the taking. The Pirates will, will give the Atlanta Braves a good fight. If the Phillies can get some against the Nats, they can kind of shut the door in the Nats for the season and show that the Phillies are the real deal. But like the Braves, a lot's left to be determined. Thank you for joining me this week. Check out my stuff on sportstalkphilly.com and 973ESPN.com. Thank you to Tim Kelly, affiliation.com, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening.